Hey everyone, it's Katie in Rome. If you like the show, help us spread the word. Tell a friend. Find us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. And visit our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell coming to you from Rome. A little bit of a different episode. I'm here with my husband Derek and we are sitting where, Derek? Well, I, I'm going to be asking the questions, so why don't you, <laughs> know, why don't you tell I'm, us where we are? I know, I'm just including you in the intro. We are in the Villa Borghese Park, which is sort of like Rome's Central Park, I suppose. You can hear from behind us, it's a little more urban. Cars going by, a lot of people, and we're sitting in the shade. And yeah, Derek's going to interview me, rather than have me interview him. So, um... Why don't you introduce yourself? What's your name? What's your title? <laughs> My name is Katie Sewell. I am uh, the co-creator, senior producer, and uh, co-host of this podcast, The Bittersweet Life, a podcast for expats and travelers, ambulance going by. So what is this place? There is a bee circling my face. <laughs> um, what is this place? The Villa Borghese. And what was the Villa Borghese? I believe it was once the private villa and grounds of the Borghese family. Um, one of whom, if not multiples of whom, held the papacy at one time. Very wealthy family, and the museum in this park is one of the best in Rome. Probably one of the most extensive collections of the masters that worked in Rome throughout the Renaissance. What do you like about it? About what? The park. What do I like about this park? Very little, actually. Why do you say that? <laughs> um, it is a park... I, I, I describe it as a park full of antics, but really that might mean that it's full of tourists and tourist attractions. So it's a lot of people riding rented bikes and... Um, People rollerblading to loud music in an artistic way. Giant tour buses going by. Ambulances. What's around us right now? Right now there's a pigeon investigating us. And you might be able to hear those birds screeching in the background. Those are rosy-necked parakeets. There's a lot of people walking by behind us and a little tour bus thing just went by. Oh, and there's a bunch of teenagers making out. This is also the makeout park. They're not making out like we did in middle school, kids. This is, uh, you know, serious. Middle school, you say? <laughs> well, you know, where you just kind of go to a park and hold hands and maybe brush a fingertip or two across the knee of somebody. They actually lay on top of one another and caress like only young Italian lovers can. There's a lot of serious canoodling happening here. Yes, a lot of canoodling. We're sitting very far away from the canoodling, though, because... We're Americans, and so that makes us feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Where are we staying right now? Right now we're staying with friends, Cassie and Leon. Cassie appeared in 
the home birth episode part one and part two. They are um, people that we met here. They were expats, new expats the first year we arrived. And I met Cassie probably in the first weekend of us being here. And we hit it off, and then the four of us hit it off, and now uh, we're all staying together. Can you kind of describe the place that we're staying and maybe talk about the route that we took to get here? What did you see on the way? We're staying in a uh, the North American Pontifical University or college. Pontifical North American College. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm never good on details like that. Um, which is basically where young American men go to become priests. And Leon, our host, leads the choir and plays the organ and basically is in charge of all the music for the university. So we're staying in a little apartment that's within the walls of that university. I believe that me and Cassie and Cassie's two daughters are the only women on campus. So it's a lot of men. And the route we took to get here, well, right now we're by Piazza del Popolo, which is very far to the north of Rome. I put north in question mark because I never know exactly which way I'm going, but north of Rome. And we just sort of wandered here past the Pantheon, into the Pantheon, into um, three different churches that feature Caravaggio's and looked at all of those works. My favorite one is the Pilgrim's Madonna, a lot of people call it. Tiffany and I talked about it in one of the Caravaggio episodes. And it's a little known compared to the other ones, so oftentimes you get to stand in front of that one alone, which I, I like a lot. And the other one is the Calling of St. Matthew, which I like in particular because Caravaggio knew where it was going to be situated. The light of the painting is the same as the light that's cast on it from a window in the top of the chapel. And I just think that's so clever. And a lot of people miss it because you have to pay to light up the picture. You put a euro in and lights illuminate it and tourists always are illuminating it. So seeing it in the dark is pretty rare, but that's how he intended you to see it was with the light cast by the window. And so I actually think it's better that way. What else were we doing on the in the churches on the way up here? We are in the process of collecting holy water from all of our favorite churches to do with as we see fit when we get home. I don't know that we have a plan for what we're going to do with it, but as a uh, cheap, affordable souvenir. And we collected water from the Pantheon, which is so disgusting that I think we may end up dumping it out and trying to go there at six in the morning or something when there might be fresh water there. Because right now it's cloudy and it has a whole bunch of yuck floating in it. And the other day we were doing this and, and a guy came up to us and told, warned us not to drink the water. Uh, as we're filling up our little bottle, which goes without saying, because it's pretty disgusting. It appeals to me because it's a concrete thing from a place I love and from specific churches that I love that also probably won't be in my life for the rest of my life. I tend to like things that are a little bit more transitory and dis not disposable, but you know, it's like collecting a rock from a park that was on a specific day that meant something to you. And one day as that rock's meaning fades away from your mind, you can just throw it outside. <laughs> and the holy water in that way is a way to hold on to Rome and to take Rome home with us, but also to let it go over time. 
what other sort of souvenirs do you collect? I don't really collect souvenirs. I've been taking one small shell from every beach we've been on during this trip. We took a few rocks from a cemetery we visited a couple days ago. But I never buy anything like a shirt that says Roma. I did buy a magnet of Pope Francis once just because it was such a funny picture, but I don't usually buy things like that. My sister really likes to collect magnets from every place that she goes. And I think that that's a really nice tradition because her fridge is covered with memories. But that's not something that I'm inclined to do. Just like I'm not very good at taking pictures because I forget to do it. What do you think about people that are snapping pictures all the time? I don't know. I, I'm torn by it. I think Tiffany and I have talked about that a little bit. Sometimes I hate it because a person will walk through the line to get into the... He just killed a mosquito. Thank you, Derek. Sorry about that. People will walk through the line to get into the Pantheon, and before they even get in it, they'll already have their camera out and snapping a picture. And I always feel like you should at least look at where you are before you photograph it. Like, actually spend some time looking around and, and figure out what exactly about it you want to capture. But on the other hand, I feel like the advent of easy cameras, easy picture-taking, has become a form of artistic expression for a lot of people and as a person who considers myself an artistic person who likes to express myself I appreciate that people are finding a way of doing art with cameras so I'm torn have you ever sat through a slideshow <laughs> yes I have many name one <laughs> um, well my ex-boyfriend uh, his parents used to always put together a slideshow after they went on a trip. So I went on a trip to Greece with them through photos. What's funny about how they orchestrate it is that they will always take pictures of every plaque that they see. And so the plaques end up being the divisional line between the stages of the slideshow. So whenever you're going to a new territory, like for instance, let's say they were doing Rome. Before that picture of the Pantheon, there would be a picture of the sign outside of the Pantheon describing what the Pantheon is. So if you wanted to, you could sit there and read about it while you're looking at the slideshow. And I remember the old-fashioned ones back when people actually made slides and put them in a carousel and slowly clicked through them in their living room. Do you miss that? No. <laughs> I don't think anybody misses that. It's a pretty satisfying sound though. The That's true. That's true. I do miss certain sounds. That would be one of them. You were telling me earlier about the, the descriptive plaques in Rome and something you didn't care for about them. Can you <laughs> eliminate what that was? Oh, uh, well, I'm a person who'd rather hear the story of something. What happened there? Why was it built? And in Rome, it tends to be about every plaque just describes who the architect was, what part fell down when, how that was rebuilt, what year, what year this addition was made. All of it's very hard to picture, like it doesn't set you in anywhere, you just go, okay, in 1492 this part fell down, this part got put in. It doesn't tell you anything about the people or how it got designed or the artist behind it. It's just an endless list of names and dates and that shows a priority, I guess, as far as the cultural, what they find culturally important, but to me, I'd much rather hear the history of some of the things that happened in the Pantheon. Give me a description of what Raphael's funeral was like. 
when it happened there or the decision to take down the pantheon of gods and return it into a Christian church. I think that that's a much more interesting story than... I, I mean, I can't really say that about the pantheon because the pantheon being built is inherently interesting. But with a lot of the other buildings and churches, I would, I would much rather know why was it named, named for St. Ignatius than I would want to know when the apse fell down and what took place. Maybe who St. Ignatius was. Yeah, that would help. <laughs> what he did, why is the church decorated in such a way, does it match him in any way? Yeah, all that would be much more interesting to me. How do you feel about the Baroque architecture and art? Uh, hmm, it's gaudy. I mean, I love it because it's, um, there's nothing like it, but it's a little overwrought. <laughs> Too many clashing marbles. <laughs> I prefer um, the more gothic and um, ancient churches than the Baroque ones, with the exception of that one whose name I can never remember just because it's so overwhelming. The um, Jesuit one? The Jesu. Yeah. Is that all it's called? Mm-hmm. The Jesu? Yep, the why can I not? Jesus. Why can I not remember that? That's ridiculous. It was really the first Baroque church to understand. Yeah, well, it, it was. Shows. It shows. <laughs> they were basically trying everything. And because of that, that church is ridiculously impressive. But the ones that just have touches of salmon colored marble everywhere, I'm not as big a fan of that. We went back to church on Sunday, to the church that we went to while we were here. What yeah. was that like for you? That's Caravita. It's one of the only English language churches in Rome. Uh, It was nice being back. I wish that more of the people we had known were there, but it was nice that certain people were still there. Somebody having a bike accident behind us? Um, One of the things I've always loved about Caravita, I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the show, my father was a Presbyterian minister growing up, and so as a kid I spent a lot of time at coffee hours and in the fellowship hall. And the thing I love about Caravita is that instead of coffee and um, cookies, they serve Prosecco and chips. And the difference is wild in how long people are willing to hang around when Prosecco is being passed around. When it's coffee and cookies, the senior citizens stick around. The 30-somethings, the 40-somethings, maybe grab a quick cup and get in the car. When it's Prosecco, people will be around for an hour. A tip for all you ministers in hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> I know, well, you know, that's another thing about America is we're a little bit uptight when it comes to drinking, so it would be unacceptable. What's the drinking culture like here? You can drink um, anywhere, pretty much. Just grab a beer and sit on the fountain. You can drink it right in front of the police. They don't care. I, I don't really have a handle on how the young people would be about alcohol here um, because I haven't been hanging out with them. Do you get a sense that people drink to excess? I mean, I don't know. It's so hard to tell. I mean, what's to excess? If you drink at lunch and at dinner, far into the evening, is that excess? Or is it only excess if you're stumbling down the street? How would you define it? Well, which of those two things is Rome? Well, Rome in certain districts is stumbling down the street. But it's not as bad as Bourbon Street in New Orleans in the United States. It's a blend. I, I would say most people drink in a very sophisticated way. A bottle of wine with dinner. A bottle of wine also with lunch. But um, I don't see a lot of people, except for, you know, like typical 20-somethings, being totally hammered during the day. But there is a lot of napping going on, so it's hard to say. Maybe your experience is different than mine, but I haven't noticed a lot of 20-something Italians 
stumbling down oh, the street. Well, I feel like it's mostly the tourists. That's true. I feel like most Italians, even people in their 20s, order one drink and then let it get warm sitting on the table while they talk to each other. <laughs> that's actually totally true. Now that you've said that, is I remember um, in our comedy episode, Marcia De Salvatore talking about that. How she always felt embarrassed to go out with a bunch of American friends because they really wanted to, you know, have a couple cocktails and get a little rowdy and the girls next to her would be sipping on the same Aperol spritz for four hours. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe they, they're more civilized. America, the United States is probably worse. So there you go, teetotaling America. <laughs> Lessons from Rome. What has surprised you about being back? I guess how normal and average it feels to be here. Like we were just here. And it's been a year. All of you listening know it's been a year. You've been through it. And it's almost as if we never left. In fact, the weirdest thing about it is that we left at a period of time when the weather was almost exactly the same. So (laughs) we came back. The weather's the same. It could have been as if I fell asleep and dreamt about Seattle for a long period of time and woke up and was still in Rome. Describe the street we used to live on and are about to live on again. <laughs> They're well aware of the street that we used to live on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, never mind. San Francisco Arepa. That's the weird thing. We're going to be moving back into our same apartment building in just a few days' time. Our very same apartment building, same landlord. Only this time, we will not be staying above the pizza place. We will be staying in the apartment in the back. So we're about to find out how much better our neighbor Carlo had it all last year than we did as far as the noise is concerned. But it doesn't have as cute a like little lofted studio for recording that the other one had. But I've been already told by Tiffany that any episodes that we record because of the baby will have to be done at her house. So. What were your first impressions of the baby? He's cute. He's very cute. He's small. He was just born. So he looks like a newborn, but he is very awake. (laughs) That's the thing that struck me the most about him is that I always think of newborns as sleeping a lot. Aurelio was super awake, big, huge eyes, bright red hair, very alert, not too whiny. I don't know if Tiffany will say the same thing when we talk to her about it, but she's spent a lot more time with him than I have. So can I ask you any questions or no? No. Should you describe our first two weeks here? We went to a small town up in the Dolomites, which is in northern Italy, kind of on the Austrian border. We stayed in Bresenone, or Brixen. It's a beautiful little Alps wonderland up there. It's like being in the sound of music. We did a ton of hiking, tons of hiking, probably four or five hours a day. And then we would eat dinner and lay around (laughs) after four hours of hiking for people like us who don't usually hike for four hours we were pretty much done what's the hiking like oh it's great but it's very vertical i don't know i'm not very descriptive about stuff like this um no grazie (laughs) 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 microphone recording recording yeah where are you from Oh, United States, Seattle. They study anything. United States. Uh-huh. Oh, Where are you from? Bangladesh. Oh, Bangladesh. Yeah. How are you? Nice to meet you, Katie. Okay. Ciao. Derek. Oh, you all, all decoding? Yes. Ah, yep. Very, very enjoy, romantic. <laughs> yes. Is it? 
three chord romantic? You give to your friend only for one Louis Vuitton, only Vuitton. Oh, no, thank you. What are you selling? What? What are you selling? <laughs> no problem, you get it, no problem, only one. <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay, only one rose, okay. It's, it's you okay. are a big boss. You just you help me, not too much. It's something help me. How many do you sell in one day? One day maybe 20 piece. 20 piece. 20 day? Today, today is very good. Oh, yeah. good. I sell for 1 euro, 50 cent, 2 euro. Mm -hmm. Just. Yeah. And what are, oh, what are these? Oh, it, okay, choice. Red, white, blue. They're bracelets? Yeah, bracelet. We're okay. Take this, no problem. Take this. <laughs> no problem. Don't worry, no money. It is no money. Okay. Well, you can't give away your stuff for free. Yeah, okay. you can't give it to us for free. It is no money. Do you have one euro somewhere? Uh, you might have it in your pocket. Okay, it is He'll your check. Your friend, two piece? Okay. <laughs> one for you, one for... You're very kind. Okay. Do we have any money? I don't even okay. know. You're recording my speak, eh? Yes. Oh my god. If you're okay <laughs> with it. Do you miss Bangladesh? Yeah. Home? No home, I only for two years, six months stay here. Mm -hmm. Because after one year, I have two children. Oh yeah? Very problem, too much money. Right. Kids Do they live here in Italy? Yeah. No, no, no family here. They're in Bangladesh? Bangladesh, yeah. When are you going home? Maybe after one. <laughs> yeah. I have well, five. Here, you should sell that to someone else, but no, no, you no, can no. take the... No, 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 you give to you. you give to she. No problem. I have Don't worry. I have sales. Well, no problem. One year, no sales. Okay. Because you let us record you. Okay. <laughs> no problem. Don't worry. You, uh, I am not a... Uh, one. <laughs> Two, three. Three is enough. Three is enough. That's yes. fine. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very much. Okay. You not forget me. But you can't remember me. Yes. Oh, we will remember you for sure. You will be remembered. Thank you. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Abdul. Abdul. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for stopping by. Okay. Thank you. God bless you. You too. That's the see. We were just contemplating how those roses ever got sold and now we know. Yeah, now we know. <laughs> <laughs> very nice guy though. That's a very complicated issue about Italy and I, I wish I knew more about it. There's a lot of people from Bangladesh here and from what we've been told they're stuck here oftentimes selling stuff for the mafia so we just gave our money to the mafia but, but at the same point you want to believe that it'll be enough to go home. So, I don't know, I wish I knew more about that. Complicated ethical issue. It is. Do you want one of these bracelets on? No. <laughs> Describe them. They're rainbow colored and incredibly thin and one is very small, like for a child. They're like little friendship bracelets. Nothing dramatically interesting. Pretty enough. Maybe I'll tie it on and I'll remember a duel for the rest of my trip. I hope he gets home at some point. I can't tie this with one hand though, I'm gonna need your help. So do you want to ask me anything else or should we leave it there? Well, what were we talking about before Abdul showed up? Do you oh, I don't know. Who knows? Everybody else knows, I don't know. What if it was really good? <laughs> now you know what it's like to interview somebody real time because sometimes while someone's talking you have the most brilliant idea of what you're going to ask and then by the time they finish talking you don't remember and that's also takes you out of the moment of when you're supposed to be listening to what they're saying 
which is why you see a lot of interviewers who don't even bother. They just move down a list of questions that they've already prepared because then they know where they're going at all times. I'm sorry, I wasn't really listening. <laughs> What's the favorite question you've ever asked? To whom? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I've asked so many questions. I can think of a, um, a listener question that I love the answer to. But I, it wasn't anything I asked. Will that work? Well, you may as well share it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back when I used to be on the radio and do a daily radio show with a host named Steve Scher, who you've heard in uh, a few of the episodes that came before this one, we used to do a weekly gardening show. It was my least favorite hour of the week uh, because I wasn't interested in gardening, and, and so I always found it a little boring. But the listeners, some of the listeners, were super into it because... Seattle is a very dense population of gardeners. But anyway, the three garden guests that we had on a regular basis were very smart people. And one listener called up and said, I have a problem in my yard with moles, and I need to know how to get rid of them. One of the guests said, you don't have a mole problem, you have a problem with your view on moles, or something along those lines. And he said, do you have any idea how picky a mole is? To move into your yard, the soil conditions have to be perfect, there can't be any chemicals, it has to be completely organic, you have to have rich, vibrant soil with water access and all sorts of criteria. So if you've got moles in your yard, that's the highest compliment you can possibly have. You're gardening in a, such a way that a mole wants to move in. And I loved that. I mean, that's how I feel like we should think about all of our critters. They're not problems, they're companions. I think I might have told that mole story in the Sherman show that just aired a couple weeks ago on this very podcast, but I guess that's what an impact it made on me. But if you do want to get rid of moles, I found a, um, <laughs> a, a uh, non-invasive way to get rid of moles, and that is they do not like... Uh, the vibration caused by pinwheels. So if you want to get rid of moles in your yard, surround your yard with pinwheels and eventually they'll move on. And you'll look like that neighbor, that crazy neighbor in the meantime. I remember what we were talking about. We were talking about the dolomites. Oh yeah. Well, I wasn't doing a very good job of describing it. The greatest thing about the dolomites is how civilized the hiking is. Because sometimes when you hike around the Pacific Northwest, it's you in the middle of nowhere with your bag full of sandwiches. But in the Dolomites, after you've trudged up a nearly vertical hill covered in 150 steps, and you've, or 300, and you feel like you can't take one step more, you arrive in a pristine green field with cows grazing, a man playing the accordion, and a lodge serving beer and goulash soup. And it's like arriving at the Garden of Eden. And you sit down and you eat your soup, and you listen to that accordion player, and you think, this is the way it should be done. <laughs> In the Garden of Eden, they uh, apparently speak German and play oompa music. That's right. <laughs> and are we surprised? Here comes well, some unruly really teenagers. And I only call them unruly because aren't we supposed to refer to teenagers that way? One thing I very much like about the Dolomites region is that 
it's the architecture and culture and order and structure of the German-speaking countries with Italian food and relaxed, laid-back lifestyle. It's a really nice mixture of cultures. It's beautiful and clean, but the food's great. Yeah, I like that too. And I also like how you can be hiking in the middle of a forest and come up upon um, a whole herd of cows just grazing along with their bells tinkling. And, or crawling up to a beautiful vista where you can see layers and layers of mountains in the distance and in front of it a whole field of tinkling sheep. It's lovely. And when you say tinkling sheep? Yeah, they're not peeing, they're wearing bells. <laughs> They might be peeing also, but they are also wearing bells. It's a beautiful sound. In fact, I recorded it. Maybe I'll layer in a little bit as we end here. Okay. So you can hear the field of sheep. Just imagine a field of sheep with the most beautiful mountains you've ever seen in the background. Well, I guess we'll leave it there. This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. And I'm Derek Farmer. Bye. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes, maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best.